be. 1 Samuel chapter 15. Now, we this year have been really focused on the family. And uh, we've been fro uh, focused on fragmented families and what the home needs to be built on, uh, some problems that you could have in the home. And then uh, we preached a message, or I did, uh, you listened, that's why I said we, on how to put a fragmented family together. But this morning, and if Lord willing, I don't know what will happen next week, the week after, but I want to begin to preach, we're still on the family, on pitfalls in the home, things to look out for. And, and uh, the first one that I want to hit today is going to be rebellion. Rebellion, moms and dads on the lookout. You need to be on the lookout for rebellion. And the Bible says that rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And so when you're playing with witchcraft, you are in the devil's territory. Moms and dads, if you allow your children to get away with rebellion in the home, then what happens is you're setting them, you're enabling them to be playing with demons, devils, and somewhere down the road, uh, they're going to have some issues. I believe a lot of the issues that you see America in today with this uh, gender dysphoria, that you're dealing with devils. Anybody that's transgender, they want to be referred to as we, they, them. If you look at your Bible, people that were demon-possessed, that's how they wanted to be identified because they have a personality disorder. If you have a personality disorder, uh, there's a good chance that you are demon-possessed. There was much demon-possession in the Lord's day, there's even more in today's age. I don't say a lot about it, but you want to protect your children. And we're living in this age where we're passive and we, we passively parents. And I got news for you. Passivity breeds rebellion. And you do not want rebellion in your home. Now, when I said that, let me lead off by saying that if you're living in rebellion as a parent... Don't expect your children to not have rebellion because they're following the leader. Following the leader. Remember that little game, that little song. And I was thinking about that when these little ones said, we want to follow you, pastor. Wherever you go, we want to go. So they wanted to play the piano. They wanted to help lead the singing. And it, it immediately brought to my mind, uh, I don't ever want to fall or do something that would disappoint them or lead them down the wrong path. There's been many pastors that have fallen into sin and look at what the damage has happened to the people that were following them. Hurt them. Oh, God forbid. God forbid. Now let's read this. This is about Samuel and about Saul. Verse 1, chapter 15. It says, Samuel also said unto Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over his people, over Israel, now therefore hearken thou unto the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, and ox and sheep, camel and ass. And you say, oh, why would God be so mean? 
If you was to go back to Leviticus chapter 19, there, that chapter, God begins to outline a whole parcel of sins that was there in the land. Uh, let me run back real quick by way of introduction. Uh, I have been called on the carpet. Sometimes people say, that God's a meanie there. How dare he destroy a nation? Well, in Leviticus chapter 19, verse, actually chapter 18, the Lord lists a whole bunch of sins, and in that sins, He's dealing with sexual type sins, fornication, and then He says, He says, verse 22, Thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. It's an abomination. We all understand what He's talking about there. God says it's an abomination when men are marrying men, and men want to cohabitate with men. I says it's wrong in the eyes of God, and yes, there are come a day when I'm probably going to get in trouble for saying that, but that's what the Bible says. It doesn't mean that we hate people. It doesn't mean that we hate people in that lifestyle. The problem is they're under bondage to Satan and they need to be saved. But this was an abomination. Then he says, Neither shalt thou lie with any beast to defile thyself therewith. That's that bestiality. And then he says, verse 24, Defile not yourselves in any of these things, for in all these things the nations are defiled which I cast out before you. This is what was going on in the land of Canaan. And God said, if you read these three chapters there, that the land was beginning to spew these people out because sin of those natures are an abomination and it pollutes the land. You want to talk about global warming? Then let's talk about murdering of innocent babies. You want to talk about global warming? Let's talk about all these other sex sins that are running rampant in our nation today because this Bible says, and this is your biblical worldview, God's saying that's what corrupts the land. We're too worried about the carbon emissions out of a tailpipe and not worried enough about the rebellion going on in our homes. And we're not doing it the way God says to do it. But that's why God says, you go down there and you wipe those people out. He said, why? It was because when they come up out of Egypt, they were a wicked bunch of people. They began to attack the nation of Israel from behind. That was the elderly and the little ones that couldn't keep up with the main pack. And they began to pick them off in guerrilla warfare. And the Lord he sees all. And so the Lord has taken this time to say, hey, go deal some justice out. And that's what happened. But don't you walk away thinking, well, God's just mean. I can't believe. I don't like that God of the Old Testament. That's the same God that's in the New Testament that died for the sin debt of this world. God hates sin. And God puts a red line on sin. And he says, now, you go smite them. That's the directive. That is the command. You kill them all. You kill the, 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 the animals. You kill it all. Why? They were corrupted. And then he says, And Saul gathered the people together and numbered them in Telem, 200,000 footmen and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to a city of Amalek and laid wait in the valley. And Saul said unto the Kenites, Go depart. Get you down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For ye showed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came up out of the land of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. And Saul smote the Amalekites from Havilah until thou comest to Shur, that is over against Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive. 
and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag. Uh-oh. And the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fatlings and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them, but everything that was vile and refuse, they destroyed utterly. Then came the word of the Lord unto Samuel, saying, that's the man of God. I know some of you says, man, do you have a camera in my house? A listening device? No. But I do have the Holy Spirit of God, and sometimes the Holy Spirit of God will come to me and say, you might need to preach on that. He might not tell me specifically what's going on. I'm not claiming that. But he'll say, you need to get on that a little bit. You need to hit that a little dab. And I'm like, why would I do that? And the Lord says, you just do what I tell you to do. The word of the Lord comes to you. He says, it repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king, for he has turned back from following me. And hath not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried unto the Lord all night. And when Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set him up a place, and is gone about, and passed on, and gone down to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul, and said, Saul said unto him, now I'm going to be talking about this verse, Blessed be thou of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Looky, looky, looky. He's saying he did everything God told him to do. And Samuel said, What meaneth this bleeding of the sheep in mine ears, and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And Saul said, They have bought, brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to, oh yeah, sacrifice. Unto the Lord thy God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. And then Samuel said unto Saul, Stay, and I will tell thee what the Lord has said to me this night. And he said unto him, Say on. Preach on, preacher. Preach on. Oh, yeah, get on it. I love hard preaching, preacher. And Samuel said, When thou wast little in thine own sight, wast thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel? And the Lord anointed thee king over Israel, and the Lord sent thee on a journey and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they be consumed. Wherefore then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but didst fly upon the spoil? Oh yeah, it's always about the money. And didst evil in the sight of the Lord. And Samuel said, and Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. And have gone the way which the Lord sent me, and have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. He couldn't even say his God. And Samuel said, He hath Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry, because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord. He hath also rejected thee from being king. Let us pray. Our gracious Father, we come.
Lord, help, help me this morning preach this the right way. Uh, help me preach it in such a way that it will apply to and minister to every person in here, not just a singular group, but everybody. Uh, Lord, and only the Holy Spirit can do that, and the Word of God can do that. Help me step out of the way. Let the Holy Spirit speak through me. And Lord, help us not to live uh, and to tolerate or to endorse rebellion. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. I was thinking about this this week. This, this saying, it's an ounce of prevention is worth more than a pound of cure. To put that in layman's terms, it's cheaper to buy a quart of oil than to run your vehicle out of oil and try to rebuild an engine after it blows. Uh, and that's a, a very wise saying. It's a true statement. And I believe it to be doubly true when talking about fixing a dysfunctional family. The best way to prevent dysfunction in the family is to not let it happen to begin with. Say, well, preacher, I, I got it. Well, dysfunction is not operating as intended in the instance, not as God had intended. And I'm dealing with families, and we're going to preach on Saul. Now, when trying to fix a dysfunctional family, this is where we want to get to, and I want this in the back of your mind, you're going to meet with resistance. You're going to meet with some resistance, mainly in the home, mainly out of the children who have been allowed and indulged and enabled to act wrongly in the home. That's where you're going to get resistance. Remember what I said a couple weeks back? That a fragmented family, uh, why people like that is it brings about self-autonomy. And what that does is that sets the person on the path for idolatry where they always come first. It's me. Me and me only. We're living in that age. And so because they've been allowed and indulged and enabled to act wrong, of course they don't want to stop that. But I'll tell you straight up, kicking, spitting, screaming, and throwing things is straight out rebellion in the home and should not be tolerated out of your little children. Here's why, mommies, that you would not let your little boys bite, kick, spit, and scream at you as the mom when you tell them no. Because when you let that go on, you're raising and training the next wife beater. There's, I, 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 years ago, I was in the, the mall, and I, I seen uh, this mother tell this little boy no. And he was about four, and he immediately started kicking her and spitting on her and smacking her, and she's just ignoring it. And I got news for you. I feel sorry for one day the wife that's going to have to put up with that. Because that's a problem. See, because you're in the territory of the devil. Rebellion is opposition to one in authority. It's resistance. Now, there's different types of rebellion. When we think of rebellion, we think of the biting, kicking, screaming, hollering. And that is a form of rebellion. It's a violent rebellion. But how about passive rebellion? Ah. Now that's harder to spot in children. They're good at this one until they get bigger than you. And if you think they'll grow out of that stage, you wait till they outweigh you. And then you tell them no. And there'll be a beatdown. 
They'll be hollering and slapping and beating things off the walls to intimidate you. That's called rebellion. It's violent. Passive rebellion always leads to violent rebellion. But then you got individual rebellion. And then, of course, if you got more than one brothers and sisters, you kind of have what we call collective rebellion. <laughs> and so my, my old pappy said, he said, that's why I was so strict in the home. You don't want a whole tribe of Indians uh, on the warpath in rebellion against mom and dad. There was seven of us kids. And so when you get smart enough to think, that, hey, we're going to have it our way around here. And so dad had to start and train us from little Indians. So when we got to become big Indians, we didn't run over everybody in the home. And so this is rebellion, and I want to give you a couple of things this morning, how to spot rebellion. I believe people have problems spotting rebellion because they're looking for violent rebellion. They don't ever step in and do anything until the biting and the kicking and the screaming is actively uh, going on, and then, then they want to step in when you should have stepped in a lot sooner than that. So how do we spot this rebellion. How do we spot? Because Saul is definitely rebellious. And rebellion breeds rebellion. I've preached that. I'm going to keep preaching that because it's true. If you're living in rebellion, rebellion breeds rebellion. And all you're going to breed and all you're going to produce is rebellious little children that's going to grow up to be more rebellious hellions. That's why you got to get the thing right. You want to fix the fragmented family. You want to fix the dysfunction in the family because you're not doing your children no favors by being passive in this area. So number one, spotting this rebellion. It'll be failed responsibility. Now look with me down here in verse 9. But before we get to verse 9, look with me in verse 2. And he says uh, in verse 3, because he tells him who he's going to go against. Now go, this is God's directive. It come through the mouth of the man of God. And he says, now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have. And spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. He says, kill it all. It was corrupt. Now, is that command pretty clear? We got that. So, failed responsibility is one of the ways that you're going to spot rebellion. Look with me in verse 9. But Saul. <laughs> you see that contrast there? But. Did you clean your room? Did you pick everything up? Oh, yeah, I did it all, but. Did you do your homework? Oh, yeah, I did it all, but. <laughs> did you get good grades? Oh, I got good grades, but. Say, what is that? Well, it's rebellion is what that is. And so it makes you second guess yourself. You're like, well, maybe I wasn't clear in my directive. Maybe I need to repeat this another hundred times. And, 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 and then uh, maybe they'll get it. Maybe I'm, they're, they're missing something, communication. Well, you can test that. Hey, I got cotton candy and ice cream. See if they can't translate that right. 
And we're going to Dollywood. See if they have any problems uh, uh, translating that. See if they can't pick up what you're laying down. That's called getting them on the same page. <laughs> You've seen some of me uh, get into that mode. I'm going to ask you some real dumb questions. You're like, what's your name? What's your birthday? And so on and so forth. like, what? I know that. Yeah, I know. I know the answer. And you should know the answer. But I want to see how you look when you're telling the truth. So I know what you look like when you're lying. <laughs> like, oh, but... That's what Saul did. But, look what he does. He was told to destroy everything. But he did some of what God said to do, but not all. This is called partial obedience. And partial obedience is not obedience. I've heard this a lot. Are your children in church? Well, you know, they're not in a good church. They're in probably a bad church. But at least they're in church. Really? 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 I've told certain people, if that's the church you want to go to, it'd be better off you didn't go at all. Why let the devil teach them and preach to them? You know straight up some of these churches, they ain't preaching the book. At least they went to church. You know what that is? Passive. Passive parenting. Passiveness. Passive. Saul was rebellious here. He didn't do all that God had said to do. And God calls it rebellion. We're going to find out why. He got rid of what he didn't want. Did you see that? They got rid of what was vile and what was refuse. That was trash. They weren't going to keep the trash. But they kept everything that was good for a good cause. For sacrifice to the Lord. We'll offer great sacrifices. You know, a sacrifice was always meant to cost you. God said, I, it's all mine, and what I want you to do with that sacrifice is kill it over there. Don't take none of it. But Samuel said, oh no, you were so wrapped up in the money that you fell on the spoil. Uh-oh. So there was a motive in that. As my pappy said, it's always about the money. I've predominantly dealt with two problems here in this church. And mommies and daddies, you're going to deal with two problems in your home pretty, pretty much. Who's in charge? Authority. And money. Yeah. Anybody have a fight over money? Oh, yeah. Money gets a little tight. <laughs> and one of you wants to blow it on nonsense. The other one says, well, we need another dozen of eggs. <laughs> I could meddle, but I won't. I'm going to stop it there. I see, I see the smiles. I'm reading. I could get into it. Because I got ears like a donkey. Stay out of those Hobby Lobbies, ladies. <laughs> Your husband might have... <laughs> yeah, I'm in trouble now. <laughs> I know I heard that Wednesday night. Now I'm preaching on you. You got to be careful what you say around me. I can hear things. And then I'll twist them a little bit (laughs) to preach them. You you know what I'm talking about. It's always about the money, isn't it? Churches, a lot of church trouble. Who's in charge? And the money. And so right here we see it. A failed responsibility. When 
Now, this is something I meant to say this morning, but I had forgotten it. I, got, I had to write it down. This is the lesson I learned this year as a pastor. I'm going to give you what I learned this year. And then you can share with me what maybe God has taught you this year. When someone consistently does wrong or will not correct wrong, even when it's pointed out and they agree it's wrong, you can rest assured that there is, it's because there is something that's in it that benefits them. Mm-hmm. I'll say it again. What I've learned is when someone consistently does wrong or will not correct wrong, even when it's pointed out and they admit, Saul admits he's wrong, but he don't change it. You can rest assured it's because there is a benefit in it for them. Spoil. Money. It benefits them financially in some way to keep their lives the way it is. Bad motive. The love of money is the root of all evil. And like my pappy says, it's always about the money. Amen. Here's another way to spot rebellion. False representation. See him there in verse 13. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said unto them, he's getting his Jesus on, Blessed, blessed be thou of the Lord. Oh, you're the man of God, amen. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. False representation. You see... He's claiming things he didn't do. He said, I've done it all. I've performed that command. Now, he didn't use the word all, but here's what he did. And you've got to learn how to spot this stuff. He paints a picture with words, and he begins to use broad colors. He's painting in the background. I have performed the commandments of the Lord. Now, he didn't tell you how much of them did or what the percentage. Remember, I told you to watch out for the words basically. You ask somebody, say, well, basically, and I do that. <laughs> and sometimes it's called for. But when someone's asking you a direct question, so what's your name? Well, basically, it's no, <laughs> there's, there's a problem. <laughs> Where were you? Well, basically, I was at the grocery store. What that says is that might have been part of what you did, but it wasn't all of what you did. That's dishonesty because you're leading somebody down the path of deception. And so he's got this false representation. I've performed the commandment of the Lord and he begins to worship. But this verse, he said, blessed be thou of the Lord. Let me get my Jesus on. Oh, amen. Bless God. Let me get up and lead in the praise team. Preacher. Fake worshiped. Living in sin, but leading worship. I told you, some of these guys running around casting devils out of people, they need to start with their own praise team because they're demon-possessed. If you watch some of what's going on in these churches, what's in behind them in the praise team is straight-up demon-possessed. 
You can't get in church all dressed in black, long hair with a silver five-star pentagram necklace on you with head-banging music and tattoos all over your body and tell me you're full of the Holy Spirit of God. You need to get saved. It's not been changing you. And I didn't say tattoos means you're lost. <laughs> Don't read into that. You know what I'm saying. You know. They get their worship on. Just let me get my Jesus on, preacher. Let me move to the music. So I'll say, because they're going to have a worship service. No, go, come on, worship with me. Let me worship. Don't leave, preacher. Let me say it's the Holy Spirit that's moving me because I feel good in the moment. Let me sacrifice. I'll put it in sacrifice. Some people say, pray for me, preacher. And I've had this, not out of anybody here. Preacher, I'm going to play the lottery. I'm going to put quite a bit of money on Pray that I win that. If I win it, I'll give you 10%. I don't know how to pray for that. <laughs> Generally, here's how that starts. If someone won the lottery and they wanted to tithe off of it, would you accept their tithe? Yeah. The devil's had it long enough. <laughs> I thought you was more spiritual than that. Sorry. <laughs> I haven't had lunch yet. <laughs> oh, they're worshiping. They feel good. They're going to bring a sacrifice. Let me pay my toll for my disobedience and continue to live in rebellion. I'll just pay for it. Here's the thinking behind that. Well, you know, Jesus paid the sin debt of the world. Sin's free. I want my share. So let me come in, live and do what I want because there's a financial benefit in it for me. I mean, after all, i got to take care of my kids, don't I? They get all holy about that. He that can't provide for his own is worse than an infidel. I don't want to be an infidel. So I'll lie, cheat, steal, kill, and, and, do, and live in rebellion to do all that. No, you can't do wrong to have a chance to do right. It's called rebellion. It's sin. But the thinking is, sin's free. Here's why. We tell people. Jesus paid the sin debt of the world, past, present, and future. And he did. You know what that sets in the mind of a person with a bad motive? That's like a free sample in Sam's. <laughs> I could have just ate. I could be full, barely able to walk, contemplating riding in one of those wheelchairs. I want those free samples. Now, generally, when I preach, I say, you do. Got to quit that. <laughs> and then people want, I don't, people want to fight over them. You know, you shouldn't be a hog, take three or four, that's just one at a time. You can buy that product. I'd never say that. Especially when they had pizza. Why is frozen pizza as a free sample taste so much better than when you buy it and cook it at home? Why does it taste better at Sam's Club? Someone have to help me with that. But the thinking is, well, sin's free because Jesus paid for it. All I got to do is just pray a little prayer and then just write, continue in my sin. It's okay. Like that. Mm -mm. No, that's sin. That's wrong. 
And let me give you an illustration because I know how the snow blows on this thing. I've grown up in this my whole life. Now, I've seen this firsthand, what I'm getting ready to tell you. Now, maybe you have seen it, maybe you haven't. But I've seen kids, teens that I grew up with, get in trouble. Maybe get called down in church. They've been laughing, not paying attention. Giggling, disrupting, walking around, and their mommy and daddy catches them. Now, I don't know how it worked in y'all's house. I played that game once. I didn't like the results. <laughs> I was in church. Why I'd want to do this on the front row, I don't know why. But I did. And I was, what was I, eight, nine, right in there, ten. Remember, it's like this was yesterday. There's this little boy, a couple years older than me, sitting behind me, about, about where Sister Lisa's sitting. I'm on the front. And I'd turn around, and I'd cross, I didn't wear glasses yet, and I'd cross my eye like that. And so he'd make a face back at me. And I was making faces, and it was disrupting Pastor Jack, Brother Jack Grigsby. And he called me down. Todd, quit making faces. My dad was sitting right next to me, but my dad was taking notes. He had a chair in front of him, and he had his notebook on chair sitting on the front pew. And dad, you parents that believe in discipline, you'll know the look. Dad just turned over. And he just went. <laughs> now, some of y'all's kids don't understand that look. You give that look and they're like, what, what, what? Oh, no, 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 no. Well, when I got home, I assure you, my father schooled me. That's about the first time I've made a face like that since then. He gave me three whacks with the rod of correction. And I ain't ever forgot him. He said, you'll never disrupt a service like that again. You're like, you're right. <laughs> that wasn't good. But I've seen teens do that and be in trouble. And all of a sudden the invitation gets up and they get all cry. And they start coming to the, the altar and they get down and they're praying. They're making out like... They been in this great struggle against Satan all week and boy God's finally given them the victory and they're just not going to be rebellious and when they sit down there and they're crying these tears and mom and dad had already promised a beat when they got home and that kid knows they don't want to spank and they'll do anything sacrifice and they get up and they come back and mom dad oh they just got right with God oh they got to come to Jesus me no Praise the Lord. I don't ever want to discourage my children from coming to the altar. I, why would I beat them for doing something good? They're playing you. Because when we got out of church and we were going to play ball, I said, hey, did you get right? And I'm like, get right? No. I just got out of a beating. My mom and dad, they won't spank me for the next two or three weeks. I can do whatever I want now. It's my get-out-of-jail-free card. I'm just playing. And mom and dad's so dumb, they can't see rebellion. They can't spot it. False representation. That happens. And I know this. I'm going to get on. I'm not trying to discourage anybody if God's calling you to preach. Again, I know how the snow blows on this thing. 
be in trouble because they're going out with a girl or got friends that their mom and dad don't approve of and they come up and they're I think God's calling me to preach. Hey, man, bless God, I'm going to preach. Oh, man, I'm a preacher. Mom, dad's happy. Like, oh, he finally found Jesus. Go serve God full time. Been praying. And the whole time, that's just to get the emphasis off of their bad friends. I'm going to witness to them for Jesus. Be a good influence on them. No, you won't. You'll be out of church in six months. Y'all ever experienced that stuff? I've seen it firsthand. Maybe because I was a teenager and I knew what was going on behind the scenes. Maybe the parents didn't. That's called false representation. Now here's how my pappy took care of it. Son, I'm glad you surrendered to the Lord, but we still got to get to the spanking. (laughs) Oh, man. Now here we go. One more way to spot it. Foolish reasoning. Verse 19. Oh, yeah, foolish. Now, remember what the Bible says. Foolishness is bound in the heart of the child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. Proverbs twenty-two fifteen. That's your clue. Now, watch this. Foolish reasoning. Watch this, verse 19. Wherefore then did thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but didst fly upon the spoil, and didst evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said unto Samuel, I've obeyed the voice of the Lord, and have gone the way which the Lord sent me. I I did it. And I brought Agag, the king, to Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But, there's that but again. You can't pastor goats. They butt everything. It's like, look, I think we're going to have a work day at church, but I right, look, you know, you, you, you can't you can't be living in sin and teaching Sunday school, but you know, but but we need to we need to change the light bulb, but won't that spend money? I had well, I had to paint the activity building a few years back, but why why would we want to do that? Because we can't let it rot down around us, but. That's a goat. You can't pastor goats. God says you can pastor sheep, but not goats. I believe in eating goats. They taste like deer. <laughs> oh, But the people, what do they do? Oh, blame shifting. It's not my problem. I was raised this way. Blame shifting. Oh, no, I don't have a problem. It was somebody else. It was, it was so-and-so. I was just following along to get along. Blame shifting. I had no control. He says, what he says, he's throwing the people under the bus. Siblings are good for this. Who did this? Well, I didn't do it, but maybe so-and-so did. <laughs> I got a good illustration I get, but I, I won't. <laughs> Needless to say, I was the culprit that did it. I said, Jeremiah did it. I think he did it. Now, I never dreamed that he would get in trouble for that, but he did. I never told him that. <laughs> if he does, then he'll have to forgive me. <laughs> That's years ago. Jeremiah did that. You know I wouldn't do that. I'm too old for that and sophisticated. I didn't do that. It's called blame shifting. Throwing others under the bus. 
Let me give you this as a, a nugget. Too much love won't spoil a child, but too few limits will. Too much love will not spoil your children, but too few limits will. They need limits. You're there to help them and to guide them. Saul says, well, my intentions were good, but these people. I'm going to repeat this. It's never right to do wrong so you can have a chance to do right. Saul thought he was doing right because he's just going to bring all this spoil for sacrifice. We're, we're going to give it to God. We're giving it to God. What's the difference between giving it to God over here and giving it to God over there? That's called foolish reasoning. Now, how do we deal with this? Verse 14. Samuel confronts it, does he not? Verse 14. And Samuel said, what meaneth this bleeding of the sheep? I, I can't get away from this. Todd, did you clean your room? Oh, yeah. Did you pick up everything? Oh, yeah, everything. Okay, it's ready for inspection. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I couldn't believe he lifted that bed up. You know, I just figured, why would he do that? I wouldn't do that. Why would he pick the bed up? Because I put everything under the bed. Work for my sisters. Here we go, that blame shifting. <laughs> Throwing some siblings under the bus. Wow. So how do you deal with it? Confront it. What's this bleeding of the sheep I hear? This bah going on in the background. Bah. There shouldn't be no bah. That kind of goes with but. But. Objectively pointed out. I see Agag. Everybody's supposed to be dead. Why are you running this king back? Why do I hear sheep? Wow, he didn't have an answer for that. That's when he got in that foolish reasoning. Well, now, here's the dangers of rebellion. And Samuel gives him the dangers. I'm about done. Rebellion, the Bible says, is as witchcraft. That's the devil's domain. To live in rebellion is to live in the territory of Satan and his powers. And God does take rebellion seriously. Let me give you a verse of Scripture out of 1 Chronicles 10, verse 13. Here's why God says that He allowed Saul to be killed. So Saul died. Remember the Philistines killed him. Saul died for his transgression which he committed against the Lord, even against the word of the Lord. This is the incident he's talking about. Saul was later in his life which he kept not, and also asked counsel of one that had a familiar spirit. Remember that? He went to the witch of Endor. Now Samuel's prophesying to him here, if you don't repent and get this right, rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. What did Saul end up doing? Cohabitating and going to witches, which was a person that had a familiar spirit. To tell the future. You see, rebellion's the devil's territory. 
And when you let your children get away with rebellion in the home, you're opening the front door for the devil to have access to them. And passivity will breed even more rebellion. Well, I just don't want to call it out. I'm so tired. You're so tired that you can't help your children not to be so rebellious. God took it up with Saul. Now rebellion, because he doesn't stop there, is the product of stubbornness. Stubbornness is iniquity and idolatry. Now, iniquity is more than just a sin. It's a selfish motive. It has malice and jealousy or envy behind it. Stubbornness, you'll see this in your children. We was getting ready to see a little this morning. It was okay. We kept it on down low. You tell them to do something, you see them stiffen up. And they'll give you that look. You say, what is that? That's called stubbornness. And here's what stubbornness does. Here's what's going on in the mind. It says, I don't recognize your authority over me because I'm number one. That's idolatry. Now, Eli got in trouble by allowing his children to do wrong. Remember Hophni and Phinehas? And the Lord said this. He says, you favored your sons above God. That's why you don't let your children get away with that stubbornness. Now, they need a little grit in them, but not against authority, not against you. You want them to have some good grit down in there. They'll stick by the stuff. But this was leading to rebellion. Saul thought he was bigger than he really was. He's king now. And that's why Samuel said, The Lord took you when you was little in your own sights. And set you on the throne. And now you think you're somebody because you're king. A lot of pastors fall into that. They think because they're senior pastor, all of a sudden they're king. Like, hey, I can do what I want. No. No. You see, pastors answer to the Lord. I'm bound by the same scripture you are. Daddies are bound by the same scripture you are. They're in subjection to Christ. That's what 1 Corinthians 11 says. If daddy's not in subjection, he's rebellion because he's stubborn. Then mama's going to be stubborn and rebellious. And then the children says, I want to play this game too. And it's going to lead to a bad place. It's called love of self. Conclusion. He says to obey is better than sacrifice. Let me give you a little something. You ever stop to think why? Why would he say to obey is better than sacrifice? Ain't a sacrifice a good thing? Well, sacrifices didn't begin until after sin came in the world. Remember? When Adam and Eve sinned. Then there was sacrifice. You know what was before sacrifice? Obedience. Grace through innocence. Grace through obedience. Obedience come before sacrifice. All Adam and Eve had to do was just obey one command. There's this one commandment. That's why James says, if you break one law, you're guilty of all. Adam and Eve only had one law. Don't eat 
of the tree. Yeah, but it looks good for food. <laughs> it's a tree to be desired to make one wise, but <laughs> yeah. And so the thinking is, I know I've done wrong, but I've done wrong so I can have a chance to do something right because sacrificing's right. No, sacrificing's not better than just straight up obedience. I've seen people put great sums of money in the plate. Now, don't stop if you're doing that. <laughs> and continue to live in sin because, hey, brought my sacrifice. Well, good, don't stop that. But, <laughs> thus saith the Lord, <laughs> to obey is better than sacrifice. See, we get this ideal, well, I'll just do wrong and bring a sacrifice to pay for it. In today's language is, I'll sin to get what I want, then say a little prayer to God, and that'll make it all right. God will take it up with you is what I'm saying. Rebellion never ends well. Look out and watch out for passive rebellion in your homes. It's a pitfall. And it become a breeding ground for witchcraft. It's the devil's territory. And I believe that a lot of the things that we're seeing today out of this younger generation is a byproduct of open rebellion that was allowed to go on in the home because mommy and daddy were just going to parent passively. I always hear this. Well, they're just going through that stage. You know, teenagers, they're rebellious. No, they isolate off by themselves. Yeah, what did you do when you isolated off? Now, I'm a sheltered preacher's kid, and I've got news for you. We were up to no good. Yeah, that's what your kids are up to. Watch out for it, because it doesn't end well. Let's all stand this morning.